church. I usually introduce myself a bit earlier in the service, but um, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the elders here at the Ridge. It's a privilege to bring the word to you this morning. Um, I'm on the clock, half past nine, so I will. Um, the good news is I've preached this three times already, and in my experience, the the more I preach it, the 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 more um, uh, the quicker I get. So. The aim is to be out of here 10 past 10, um, and it should, we should get there. The theme for this year is <coughs> love up, love in, love out. And uh, the phrase that we've attached to each one of those to help us kind of have a hook to remember it by is under love up, we said pursuit of the Holy Spirit, spends a lot of time in the first uh, uh, three months of the year, preaching into that, praying into that. We had Holy Spirit night at um, Sterling. It was fantastic. Um, and uh, then uh, the second three months, we've just finished a series on loving in and loving in the catchphrase to help us remember what uh, we're aiming for here is building committed community. Um, and I, I had to stare at my cell group at the start of the year and look them in the eye because um, I, uh, I needed to take a break last year. I, I stepped out of uh, leading my cell group for about um, eight months. And part of that was not even going in the evening. So, um, but what I started to notice was, uh, gets to Thursday, we, we do sell on a Thursday, gets to Thursday, who's coming? Uh, and then there were a couple of times where guys just weren't you know, showing up to, to sell. Um, and at the start of this year, we looked each other in the eye and we said, we are going to commit. So you don't just come to sell when you feel good. You don't just come to sell when it's, everything is going well. You actually need a really good reason not to come to sell. It can happen. I mean, we all know that. Em emergencies and, and things happen. But we're kind of deciding together that I'm going to be here. I commit to you. I commit to this group. And... Uh, our cell attendance has been much better this uh, this year. Uh, we haven't cancelled a single cell, which is fantastic. At that, I'm aware of. I might be saying something, and someone's remembering something. I don't know. Um, but uh, that was the catchphrase under loving in building committed community. We need to commit uh, to each other, and and some of the things we did in that time was the the women were ahead of the men, as is the case, you know. In, in school, sorry Peter, and so I see it every day, uh, your school by the way, and uh, in school, you know, you give the, if I say to, can someone hand out these notices, who's putting their hands up? All the girls, right? And if I, I can pick anyone, it's got, it's got nothing to do with, you know, ability, or, I can pick any girl, they will diligently and effectively hand out those notices to everybody. The boys start to pop up a bit and say, no, sir, you favoritize the girls. You don't, you know, see us. Well, I say, well, first of all, you don't put your hand up because you're not listening. And uh, secondly, now that you are putting your hand up, okay, go. Never gets done right. So there's 28 notices, 28 children. The kid comes back and goes, sir, I need more notices. What? No, I need more. There's not enough. He's handed two to some people. And now he wants more. And this kind of thing I see often and uh, over and over and over. Like, I want to use you, but you're just not yet uh, there. Um, and uh, so the w my point was the women are a bit ahead, and they still are, and they're running women's ministry fantastically, and we saw some slides of that this morning. We finally got our act together, uh, Peter, and uh, we've had two men's breakfasts, and, uh, and those have been fantastic. And why are we doing that? Because we're looking at each other in the eye, and we're saying we commit to each other, not just on a Sunday, not just uh, for a little bit. We're in this together. That's loving in. Um, and, and you can feel the difference. When someone has been coming to church for a long time, but you're only saying hello at the front and maybe hello at the end, but suddenly you get to do an activity together or you get to eat a burger together and, and hang out and talk to each other, the next time I see you, there's an added warmth that wasn't there before. It's just natural. The more time you spend with someone, the, the more sincere um, the love. Um, 
I, I learned stuff uh, about Tony sitting over there. It's been fascinating. I mean, some of you know him better than me. You probably know some of the stuff, but I had no idea. And he had me going for an hour just talking. I, I usually do that to people. He did it to me, just, and I loved it. Just learning more about, about him. Person I see often, but don't really know. And then we've just started Love Out. And what is the, the catchphrase under Love Out? It is, know your neighbor. And so this morning, I'm going to be speaking to you about missional living. And when I came back from Oman, I was uh, a missionary there for two years, uh, the mandate for me from the church was, you've lived as a missionary in Oman, and now we want you to live as a missionary in Sanirud. And, and, and we want you to help the church catch the same kind of uh, passion and drive. Um, and so in a way, I'm the expert. And I say that in fear. Because if I'm the expert, we're in trouble. And I'm going to kind of dismantle that um, uh, false image that people have. That you have the preacher who's gifted and he's meant to tell people about God. And you have the missionary who's gifted and he's meant to tell people about, uh, about God. But just me, I'm just, I'm just average, I'm just uh, normal. And I, I just, I, I'm quite happy to come to church and contribute and, and serve in some way. But telling people about God is not my thing. I'm going to dismantle that because when you're actually here, I'm going to be completely honest with you this morning. When you hear how I am, you are going to realize I am not the expert. I am just like every single one of you. And I'm going to read about the expert to you. I want you to open up John chapter 4. Um, we're going to read about Jesus. This is a case study in missional living. This is a master class from the expert, the example. And uh, we're going to, it's a long chapter. And I'm just going to pause as we get to the flashpoints, the key moments. There's one or two things I felt God show me in this text for us. And uh, at the end of that, we're going to try and apply it to our lives and, and see where we go. So, John chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees... Sorry, I just thought of something important before we carry on reading. Those three things, love up, love in, and love out... They are continuous. So don't think we did love up term one, we've moved on. We've done love in, we've moved on. No, it's a continuous. I am always asking for more of the Holy Spirit. I'm always seeking for more of the Holy Spirit, a greater dependency on God. I am always committed to church, to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, as much as I want to reach other people and share my faith with them, I'm also inviting church people around my table because we are in this thing together and I'm committed to you. These three things happen and you are spiritually healthy when they're all happening. When one is missing, there, it has an impact on our spiritual well-being. So you might be committed to church, you might be committed to seeking God, but you might decide, uh, this loving out thing is a little bit beyond my pay grade. Um, it's going to have an impact on your spiritual well-being if we don't end up ever telling people what God has done for us. Um, and so we need to consider that. And out of the three, the one that is the hardest I would uh, put forward to you is loving out. Um, are you willing to pray for more of the Holy Spirit? Most people I speak to say yes. Um, every day. Twice on Sunday. That we can do. Are you willing to have someone over from the church to your house for a meal to love into each other? Let me tidy up my house. Let me get a few things in order. But yes. Why? Because we've agreed to that. We're committed to each other. And it's not awkward to invite you because we know each other. And I can have you over. But it does take a bit of prep. So that, not every day, but... Maybe once a week, maybe once a month, but let me get myself organized. What about loving out? An unsuspecting victim that I must now tell about God. That's not too exciting, right? And I'm not very good at it. And so when I speak to people, I'm pretty sure love up, 100% in. Love in, okay. Love out. Are you sure? Are you sure that's not just for some of us? So this morning, as we read this text, 
All three are important. All three are happening all the time. Don't just settle for two. Okay, we need this third one. And if we're not doing it, let's pray that God would speak to us from this text and encourage us in it. So, first one. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. The scene is set. Jesus is on a long journey, by foot, to another land. And he reaches a well. He is thirsty. He is tired. Um, I don't know if you've ever been asked to do something uh, when you are really tired. But our mental space is not always in the best position it needs to be in to do that thing. God has sometimes said to me, Mark, I want you to do, but I, I've been tired. I'm more reluctant than normal to, to actually do that. No, speak to the Lord. Oh, I feel this is Jesus' space. He has excuses he could make. And where is he? Is he in the synagogue? No. He's not in the church building. He does do that. He does go there and he does preach. But in this specific moment, he is outside at a common area that people often go to. And the first point I thought of when I was preparing this text was he wasn't in the perfect uh, emotional state to, to do missional living, um, but he was also in the right venue. Okay? He was outside in the public. And we have this thing where we think we do steak night. Who's been to steak night? Okay, most of us. If you haven't been to steak night, we do it every uh, year. We're gonna, you've got to make sure you come to the next one. It'll be in September. It's fantastic. It's uh, uh, high-quality steak, really cheap, but I need to stop hunting steak night. Uh, we'll do that later. Um, but our vision for steak night is to invite people from the community to come and we fellowship with them. Hopefully they might hear the gospel and want to keep coming to church. That's really the, the only reason we do it. That is the heart behind the whole thing. And, but what happens is people invite, which is fantastic. Please, don't misunderstand me. We need to do that part. Because if they're not here, they, they can't hear. So we invite, and we're quite good at that. We've had 150 at each stake night every year we've done it. Which, you know, there's about 30 people in the room this morning. That's a fantastic number that we're bringing in through inviting. But the part we're missing is what happens when they're there? Because I get told as the resident missionary, Mark, you need to preach the gospel. Now that these people are here, you need to preach the gospel. And if you do it well, we might have some stay. If you do it badly, we'll you know, get better next year. Um, and I want to say to you, we've missed the boat. Because we think missional living is inviting someone where? To church. So it is a steak night, it is, um, it's not a church meeting, but we still invite them here. And then someone who's an expert needs to do their, the job. And that's not how this thing works. And that's what we're going to see here. What should happen at steak night is there should be no gospel presentation. You might go, why? I don't mind it, I mean, it's fine. But if, if not preaching the gospel helps this next thing happen, then... It's more important not to. So let me qualify that. If every single person who got invited to steak night sat around a table with you and you had your eyes open and your ears open and you said, Lord, you've brought them here. Lord, you are working in their hearts. Lord, and as you chat, you start to get clues, cues to what God is doing. And you decide, you know what, I'm not going to leave it up to the expert. I'm not going to leave it up to the guy standing at the front. I'm going to tell this person something God's done in my heart. And you might go, but I don't know a lot. We're going to read about that, no? Doesn't, you don't need to know a lot. I, I don't have a, much to say. We're going to read about that now. You don't have to have much to say. But it's more effective to have 30 people each sharing something God's done for them with, with everybody than to have one guy standing at the front 
doing it you know as the expert and that's the part we we've missed we we bring people here and we think we've done the job no 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 the job happens out there at the wells where's your well you might go we don't have wells here a well is a, a place where people come and hang out right and we've all got them in our lives my well happens in the staff room at school um my well happens uh, in my street when uh, the, the neighbors, we often are out there at the same time. It's just odd. Okay? And, and I have friendly neighbors where we actually wave to each other and we know each other's names and we've got a WhatsApp group. Okay? Wells happen outside, not at church, outside where we get to meet people. Jesus is at the well. He's tired. He has excuses. Let's see what he does. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What's Jesus doing? She comes. Why is she there? She's there to draw water from the well. That's where he starts. So I've just said, I've just challenged you, the next steak night we're going to have, I want you to think about something you're going to say to someone and not leave it up to the guy at the front. But you don't have to start with the, the spiritual blurt out, you know, when it doesn't fit. What's happening in the conversation? This conversation naturally flowed about water because that's why she was there. And Jesus cleverly turns it into living water, spiritual conversation. And um, he, we've got to keep our ears open how we can do that. So you go, well, how, you want a practical example? I'll give you one you can use this week. How's that? Right? You're at a bra. This has happened to all of you. And it'll happen to you again. You're at a bra. We're standing around the bra. And you hear, this country. Anyone heard that? Going to the docks. Man, everything's falling apart. This woman came. She had a need. Her need was water. This country's got a need. They are anxious. They are fearful. They keep telling you about it. And what do we do? And I'm going to be honest here, because I do this. I'm not rebuking anyone. This is me. I stand there in that moment. It's an opportunity. And what do I often do? You're right. Man, this and this and this and this and this. And we end up spiraling about our country. Walk. I go home. Oh, love. Maybe we should go back to Oman. You know, man, it's bad here. And Anita, that's why if you're married in the room, uh, um, and if you're not married uh, yet, I want to encourage you, especially men, because they're out there. The women are just better than us. Marry up. Because I'm in a spiral. And Anita goes, no, no, no. Pick up your Bible. Let's, uh, let's pray. Man, God's peace comes. No, you called us here. You told us to come here. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's happening. I'm exactly where God wants me to be. That's what I should be saying. When the conversation goes, this country. Well, I should be saying, I'm also scared. I also get anxious. But you know what I do when that happens? I go to God and I pray and he gives me peace. And you might listen to that and think, Mark, that's going to do nothing for this person. That's not my job. My job isn't to um, be so good at this that they are immediately convinced and fall on their knees and, and uh, worship. If it happens, fantastic. My job is simply to tell you what he's done for me. And we all have these opportunities. And you start with where they're at. They kick you off. Man. So the next time someone's going on a spiral about South Africa, instead of getting into it with them, ask yourself, what do you do when you feel like that? Do you go to God? Does he bring you peace? If you've experienced any comfort from him, and I know you have, 
Tell people. Tell him. Tell them. So the conversation ends up being spiritual after starting off with what the person is giving to you and showing you what they need. It's called a felt need. That's also a sign of what God's doing in their heart. And our missions experience told us this. Out of societal uh, unrest, the church thrives. When everything's going well, when everyone's happy, when everyone's uh, confident and content in what they've got, you can preach the gospel and they don't care because they're satisfied. But when things are falling apart and I can't trust my bank account and I can't trust my investments and I can't trust my leadership and I can't trust and I don't feel like I can trust anywhere and I'm insecure and I'm shaky, then you preach the gospel and suddenly there's a need. There's a desperate response to it and the church thrives. Are we praying that God will just fix the country? Or are we praying that God will use this time to bring revival to his church? So you're in a perfect moment, guys. The fact that everything is going a bit pear-shaped is a perfect moment for the gospel. It's the right time to talk about what God has done for us. People are more open than ever. So in verse... um, Uh, I think we got to verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Do you think she's getting it? He's telling her about the living water, which is the Holy Spirit, and she's saying, yes, I want it. Why? So that she never has to come back to the well and draw water again, because she's thinking he means, I'll drink this water once and never be thirsty again. You're going to sometimes share about God a little bit and realize that the person isn't getting it. And that's okay. Because... Jesus goes through that in this moment here as well. And he doesn't stop. He doesn't go, oh, this person's completely missing me. He then says to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you have, uh, and the the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. We start to get an idea, something Jesus already had his eyes open to, um, but women usually do things. What did you see on the pictures there? Did you see one one woman attending the women's meeting? No, together. Have you ever been out with, uh, go on a double date and uh, the, the one girl gets up and goes, I need to go to the bathroom. What does the other girl go? Cheers. No, go with you. Women love to go with each other two things, to talk. And it's better if you're not there. I know when they're in the bathroom, they're talking about me. And it's probably not good. Okay? I like to think, oh, it's good. You know, I found Anita's, I'm just going to confess you, I found Anita's diary. This was when we were dating. It's a miracle we ever got married. Um, I found her diary, and, and I knew it was wrong. Um, <laughs> but my ego in me said, I wonder what she thinks about me. You know, I'm sure I show up. So I open up the first page and I read it. And it goes, Mark is great. Mark, and I mean, it just feeds me. You know, I'm like, man, there's a whole book full of this stuff. <laughs> Fantastic. And you know what happened after that? I read the whole thing. And every other page. So I, ha- I read one page that got me started on Mark's like this. And the rest was just, Mark does this wrong and this wrong and this <laughs> I think I need to break up with him. It was horrifying. It was like a car crash that I just couldn't stop looking at. Um, And I had to, you know, put it aside and and then uh, put my big boy pants on and then go and confess. Because I didn't want to. I went home and uh, told my best friend and uh, said, I think she's going to break up with me. Um, 
And uh, my best friend said, well, this isn't you. You don't usually do stuff like this, but you know what you need to do now. What? Must I break up with her first? Keep some on her. Um, he said, no, you need to go tell her what you've done. She's already going to break up with me before I did this. <laughs> then I, she's going to, then I'm, I'm doing this. And then what's going to happen? The story's going to spread. Mark's this untrustworthy guy who's just going to read your diary if you date him. I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. I was single for 10 years before I started dating Anita, and now I've botched this. It was a very difficult thing to confess to. Um, I ended up confessing, and, and uh, God was gracious, and Anita was very gracious, and she forgave me under one condition, that you never do that again. You never enter my personal space. But women love to go off together and talk. And the well was a perfect place for that. They would go there at a certain time during the day all together. What do you notice in the story? Did Jesus spot one woman through the crowds? No, she came up by herself. There's already a clue in that for you if your eyes are open. Something's not quite right with this woman in her story if she's coming to the well by herself. And we start to see what it is. She is ashamed. She is broken. She is ostracized. When you've married five different men in a small community and are now living with the sixth one, the other women don't look on you too fondly. They don't trust you too much with their, their man. And she's by herself now. And she comes to the world at the wrong time of the day by herself because she is ashamed. That's her life. And now she realizes that she's speaking to a prophet. She says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, Listen to what she says now. I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So the rest of the community sees a broken woman who we don't want to spend any time with, who's lived a shameful life. Jesus sees someone in need. And now he said very little to her very small amount of things, but she starts to unpack what's going on in her heart. And she says, this isn't something he told her, this is something that she already knew, was already stirring within her. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. You might be looking at people all around you going, you are too far gone. I see how you live your life. There's no point telling you about God because you are nowhere. And I'm saying, you have no idea what God is doing in people's hearts. You will be surprised when you start to tell people what God has done for you, how much they already have an idea of who God is to them and what he's done for them. It's very encouraging because God is the one who's at work. When I, the, when I got to George Randall from the mission field, the first thing I did was I said, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing in the school? Whose heart are you working in? Open my eyes. I said, when I'm at the wells, and my ears are listening, I hear you. And this guy started saying things, and I knew God was working in him, and I knew God was saying, Mark, go, tell him. And he was the hardest man at the school. He was the, he lived a terrible life. And he walked around swearing uh, shamelessly at the children. And you would have judged him. You would have come across there, looked at him once, judged him, gone, oh, no. And some of you know who he is, so I won't use his name because I want to honor the guy. But I remember God saying, you need to speak to him. And so I told my soul group because I realized on the mission field, the only reason I ever did anything uh, uh, important because it's scary was after I told someone, I would always say, I feel like God wants me to do this thing now. I am really nervous. If I don't tell you, I'm not going to do it. 
Because you're my hope now that you're going to keep coming and saying, have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? And be like the persistent widow that just never stops until I, I go and do the thing just so that it'll be. That's, that's what, why I tell people. And I told myself, I said, guys, there's this guy I need to speak to. The next week, Mark, have you done it? And because I'm useless, like I'm trying to tell you, I'm not the expert. Nope. So God says, go. No. Just like Jonah. No. Or later. The next week, Mark, have you done it yet? No. I kept trying, but every time I got in front of him and every time I was about to speak to him, it was like, what do you say? How do I even start? So you go, I don't know what to say. Being there. Third week, he's in front of me. Cell is starting in an hour. We were doing some special function at school on a Thursday and ending. Cell actually was actually not even starting an hour. It was starting imminently. It was 7 o'clock. I was going to come late. And he's standing in front of me. I'm going, I, I don't want to stand in front of this group again telling them I haven't done it. And in that moment, I prayed. I said, Lord, please help me. I'm so bad at this. I'm so bad at be being obedient to you. I mean, I know you want me to speak to him. I just can't. Help me. God will help you guys. Because he's the one doing it. He's involved. You know what happens in this moment? There's a woman standing over here, three of us, in a triangle. She looks at him and she says, you need to get your life right with God. <laughs> and Mark is a man of God. So you need to speak to him. I stood there, literally saying nothing, mouth wide open. We hadn't had a conversation. She's not in our church. She goes to a different church. She knows I'm a Christian, and I know she's a Christian, but I've never sat down with her and said, hey, you're a lot more direct than me, and could you, you know, help me? No, she had no clue. You need to speak to Mark. And then he goes, I will speak to Mark. <laughs> he will help you. Do this thing, as weak as you feel and are. End up talking to him. He ends up coming here a few times. And uh, coming to my cell. And eventually, he's now moved on. But he's, you know what he's doing where he's moved on? He's planted a church. Now, it's not him that's the preacher or the teacher or anything like that. But he's a resourceful guy. He's quite good at uh, getting things organized. And he's found a, a, a godly man there who's got a gift of preaching. And he's helped him facilitate. And they've started a church. Now, that's God at work in him. I did very little. Every now and again, I planted some seed. And you know how I did it? Even after he said, Mark must speak to me. It would be in the car. On the way to a tennis match. Ten minutes. And I think, why not? You don't have to have set aside the whole evening, and plan this perfect little thing. These things come up as you live your life, as you do your day. You don't wake up this morning and then go, I need to plan my missional hour in this. No, you need to be switched on. It could happen straight after church, at the next thing you go to. It could happen. The moment, I remember him driving and he said something. He said something about feeling so guilty about some of the stuff he's done in his past. And so I said, I, I can tell you something about that for me. And this is how God helped me. Every now and again, just dropping seed. And so Jesus then says to her, because she's showing him that God's working. I mean, he knew it. He's, a, he's, he's omniscient, right? He knows everything. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. Culturally, you don't do that. If I were live in Oman and am caught talking to a woman, I'm in big trouble. So they're not just marveling like, wow. They're like, what the heck is he doing? You're not allowed to do that. Um, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, this is so important. Because I've started this off by saying Jesus is the case study, but I know the problem with that because it's the same argument I say to myself. I'm not Jesus. I'm not perfect. I'm not omniscient. I don't get amazing words of knowledge where I know what everything's happened in your life and I can tell you about it to convince you that God has sent me. By the way, God can do that. 
God can put, give word of knowledge to you. And I've heard testimonies of people getting that. I've never had it. I've prayed for it. Lord, give me a word of knowledge. And he'll do that sometimes. So you might go, Jesus should be speaking about God and helping people. And, but not me. Man, Mark, if you saw my life and the way I've lived, I'm just happy to be here. Well, let's flip the story because this is a missional living chapter. But actually, the missional living isn't Jesus. The missional living is about to happen. From an ostracized woman with a terrible reputation who's got no right to speak to anybody. Let's see what she does. In verse 29, she says, after going back into the town, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She goes back into the town where everyone thinks uh, so poorly of her, and what does she tell them? She just tells them what just happened to her. Her encounter with Jesus. That's all she says. It's a one-liner. And in verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. A whole town has revival come to it. Because Jesus spoke to them? No. Because a broken woman who's made tons of bad decisions is willing to go back to the town and say, this is what God's done for me. And it's not even an impressive sentence. Come and see the man who told me everything I've ever did. And Jesus is saying to you, go and tell people about me. What do you say? I don't know what to say. Go and tell them what he's done for you. That's it. There's no long theological uh, training that you need to go on. Even the missional living course. You go, Mark, I haven't been to missional living course. It's very basic. We read some scripture to encourage ourselves in what God is saying. But actually, the heart of it is this. God's already working around you. Every single one of you, God is working around you. Okay? He's a living and active God who loves people. So he is not asleep. You are not the only one involved. He is working. And then you're saying, Lord, show me. Where are you working? Have my eyes switched on when I'm at the well and I see this woman coming and I realize, wait, there's more going on here. When I see the guy at school that I just told you about, and I think, no, he's not just a, a swearing, you know, brute. There's more going on here. And then when you're standing in front of the guy, mouthful of teeth, I've been like that more than once. There's a, another family, they're at uh, Sterling Baptist now. God puts her on my heart, and I just could not speak to her. I walked into the staff room, I said, Lord, if you want me to speak to her now, she needs to be here. And it was not during a break, so it was my admin, a random time during the day. No, the staff room's empty. If you want me to speak to her now, she needs to be here. Hear the kettle. Because oh. I know. And I walk to the back room, check who's standing by the kettle. She's standing by the kettle. Walk up to her. She doesn't see me. Get close. Turn around. Walk back to my pigeonhole. My pigeonhole's empty. Find some papers, put it in there and fiddle in case she looks back. So I look like I'm doing something important. I am gutless, guys. Just like you. I know God wants me to do it, but I get scared. Eventually, I end up telling her. They're, her whole family is at Sterling Baptist Church. Last week, Sunday, I'm sitting where Peter is preparing the sermon, well, preparing to speak the sermon, and God has put a family behind me to remind me it works. I get up. I didn't see someone sitting over there on that side because Anita was pregnant when we got here, not working, stuck two roads down by the golf course there in a little uh, two-bedroom uh, flat, she never got to see anyone. The only person she saw every day was me. So, you know, shame. <laughs> because I come home like grumpy. You know, I'm Mr. Grumpy. And I'm the only one you've got. Okay? How, who's, and I'm telling her, no, no, God's doing stuff in this person and this person. And I'm kind of speaking. Stuff's happening. And she did that in Oman. 
she can't do it here. She's stuck. She doesn't have anybody. We prayed, Lord, help Anita. I don't know how to help Anita meet someone. Roger comes to us and Roger says, guys, there's a running group that's about to kick off just up the road over here. So I took my wife there. She was six months pregnant. We were desperate. I mean, this was not a good idea. Missional living is full of bad ideas where you just go. And you know as you're going, this is a bad idea. We didn't think this thing through. We get there. I'm hoping that it's like amateurs, you know, like lower level than, I don't know if you get a lower level than amateur, but I'm hoping it's guys that look like us, you're clearly not runners, and we're just going to do a little walk. Man, these guys are kitted out. There's markings all over the street. Um, we're going to run 5Ks and this and that, and, they, and off they go. And Mark and Anita. And one other person carrying a massive injury on her knee, also wanting to do some fitness, walking at pregnant lady pace. Do you need any evidence that God is sovereign? Do you need in that moment to go, God, I'm not sure if this is the person you want me to speak to. So we end up building a friendship with her. And she comes over to our house, and she's been to this church a couple of times. We thought the thing died. We spoke to her about God. Nothing really seemed to take. And eventually we didn't see her anymore and forgot about her. Until Mark gets up to preach on missional living and being encouraged by this family. I spoke to George Randall, all of them sitting in church. I spoke to one person. The whole family is there. Grandmother, kids, husband. Wow, thank you, Lord. Look across. Whole family. Same, same woman. Injured lady. Sitting at Sterling. Baptist. Because you don't always get to see what God's doing. You just plant the seed. You just be faithful. And God is allowed to move on and do and use the thing and bless it. And you don't even get to see. So you might have said to me, Mark, I did try once or twice to tell people about God, but it's never really taken. And it's a bit, I feel a bit rejected. You have no idea what God's done with that. Sometimes he shows you. Man, I was so encouraged last week, Sunday too. And then I told these stories and they... Uh, she just burst out laughing. Because how amazing is it? Anita said, you took a risk because she might have felt like a project. But God spoke to Anita and I and organized us through Roger to go there for her. Man. If that was me, I would have been like, wow, this God is amazing. So I'm going to wrap it up here. Just before this, Jesus says to the disciples, because they've brought food, they go, do you want some food, Jesus? He says, no. My food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. Just before this. You can read it when you go home. What is the food that he just had? He just told someone about himself, God, and now he knows this town is about to get saved. And that's his food. His food is to do the will of his Father in heaven. Spiritual health doesn't come from just sitting in church on a Sunday, reading your Bible, and knowing some things and praying. Spiritual health comes from being obedient to what God is telling you to do. And a big part of what God is going to tell you to do is not just bring people to church, but tell them what he's done for you. It's simple, one-liner. No long theology, no massive sermon. Some of the most effective things I've said are one-liners. And I'm just trusting God. God will use it. And he does, because the story is about him. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then he says this, and this is a prophetic word for Sterling and us. He says, do not say there are yet four months. Some of you are sitting there going, Mark, I'm inspired, but I need to sort out some things. Just give me a little bit of time. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. I felt that was for you. Lift up your eyes. If your eyes aren't lifted up, it means you're doing this. And I'm, I'm the chairman, eh? so not a rebuke. I'm like this. Sorry to show you a, a stump, but navel gazing. I'm very good at it. Navel gazing is when you, your life, your problems are the most important thing to you. And so you get increasingly depressed because things aren't working out the way you planned. 
I can pull fluff out. I, can, I know exactly what's going on in this navel. We're like that, guys. Even as churches, as groups together, we focus so much on this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And, and, and what happens is we do this. And we get despondent and we're looking at ourselves. And God is saying, lift up your eyes. Because while things aren't going fantastic in your life, and that's a reality, what am I doing? And look at what he says. Lift up your eyes. The fields are white for harvest. That means they're ready. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. And here's the awesome part, which, which one are you? I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. What is he saying? He's, he's saying that if you go and tell people what God's done for you, they're already ready. This isn't the hard work where you plant and try and get it ready, and maybe in 50 years someone else comes and speaks to them. Although even if it's so, that's fine, because God's... But he's actually saying, you, because of the fields are white, you are going to reap what other people have sown. The seeds are already there. What an encouraging word. And so, church... How do you apply this? Lord, show me what you're doing around me. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Because from the spirit comes boldness. But how does that work, Mark? Because you prayed for the Holy Spirit and you weren't bold. In my experience of faith and boldness, you think the boldness comes first and you feel bold and then you go. Mm-mm. Boldness is going when you don't feel bold. That's actual boldness. That feeling of, I'm going to feel bold, and I'm going to, it's never going to come. You go. Faith is doing the thing when you believe it's not going to happen. That's real faith. Not being so convinced by that. No. Real faith is, I'm going to put in all of this work, all of this effort, and I don't think anything's going to happen, but you do it anyway because that's faith. Maybe God's going to come through. Faith is small as a mustard seed. How does this kingdom spread? Like a mustard seed, Jesus says in Matthew 13. So small. Not in these impressive thousands of people. You might look around and go, Mark, there's so few of us. It's fine. Because it ends up in this large tree. But you don't, have you ever watched a tree grow? Riveting stuff. No, none of us have spent time sitting down to watch a tree go, grow because it's so slow. But is it sure and does it happen? Yes. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Small, insignificant. And we go and we just tell people what he's done for us. And you don't see much happen. And it can be quite discouraging. But you look back 30 years time and you go, wow, look at that. It's happened. So are we praying that God would open our eyes that God would fill us with his spirit, fill us with boldness, and then just start telling people what he's done for you. One-liners, wherever uh, your well is. I'm going to ask uh, the worship team to come up. I haven't prepped them for this. I just thought that last song was fantastic. Okay? This last song, and while we sing it, I want you to respond to the Lord. Yourself. Not, I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to make this thing happen. Um, this is a good way to respond. Lord, I will. And you finish. You say that in your heart to him. I will. I will tell this person that you've put on my heart. Because as I'm talking, I'm convinced God's touching you and saying, you, you, you know that this has been happening. You know this person's there. You know you haven't been doing it yet. I will tell so-and-so what God has done for me. I will invite so-and-so to my house for a meal. I will. You be obedient to whatever God's stirring on your heart. And this song says, this will be my story. This will be my song. My chains are broken. That's the greatest test. 
we, God has set us free. And that's how we lift up his name. This church will be full of people because of, it's about his glory, it's about his kingdom, and he's the one who's doing it. We just go and tell one person what God's done for us. And then we start to encourage each other, God, did you do that? Yeah. Wow. Awesome. What happened? Nothing. It's okay. You've encouraged me because you've gone and done it. I want to do the same thing. And we keep living like that. So as we, let's stand now. Let's sing the song together. And while we're singing it, we're saying, Lord, put someone on our hearts and give us an I will statement. And then I'll close in prayer at the end. Yes, Lord, this is our story. You have saved us, Lord. We are not perfect in any way. We are weak. We are broken. We are just like this Samaritan woman in so many ways, Lord. But you have met us. You have revealed yourself to us. You have saved us. And you have given us a story. You've given us something to say. And Lord, I really want to pray for this congregation right now. Would you just pour your spirit out on us? Lord, we're here for you. We exist for you. And Lord, it's a short time that we get to tell people about you. Forever we will worship you. Forever we will be together, loving in and loving up. But for a short time, Lord, we get to love out. And you've placed people around us that you are already working in. Would you stir our hearts, Lord? Would you open our eyes? Lift up your heads. Lift up your eyes. The fields are white with harvest all around you. Lord, I pray that you would stir people right now. Just give them, I will speak to this person. I will. And if the Lord's done that for you, I really want to encourage you, before you leave this morning, it doesn't have to be me, but go to someone. When we're out there having coffee, go to someone and say, I will tell this person. And, and ask me next week if I did it. Lord, we love you. We're praying that you'd use us in Sunny Ridge. The way this woman went back into her community and so many people believed in you, that can happen here, Lord. There's so many people not in church this morning and we pray that every church would be filled with people who love you from this area. Lord, use us as we go out. Thank you that you've given us purpose. Thank you that you've given us a calling. Thank you that you're with us, Lord. You are with us. And in our weakness, we talk about you. This kingdom grows like a mustard seed into a tree, and it cannot be stopped. The enemy cannot stop you. The last scripture I just want to say as we close in prayer is, I will build my church. Jesus said this, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That means that the kingdom of heaven advances on the gates of hell, and they cannot stop us. Satan can't stop you from going and telling people about him. He can make you fearful and he can make you disobedient or in, be involved in that in some way. But he can't stop you from going. The gates of hell cannot prevail against your kingdom. And then Jesus said, I give you, and he's saying it to you, Sonny Ridge, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Everything is accessible to you from heaven to get this job done. Pray. Pray for these people. God will move. Share your testimonies. God will move. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you power to do this. I give you the keys of the kingdom. Lord, would you use us powerfully over the next days and weeks. I pray that this week we would be obedient to you in what you've laid onto our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.